In my room, you'll find a shelf dedicated to my prized possessions, megalodon teeth, some bigger than my hand. These fossilized teeth are currency for any real shark fanatic. They are the Jurassic Park dream of the underwater world, and all we have left of the Megalodon. You've probably seen it in movies, and on Shark Week, or maybe in your nightmares, but the Megalodon was very real, and when it roamed, actually when it swam the face of the earth, it impacted it in ways we can only attempt to understand. In this podcast, we will try to bring light to its life, its influence, and most importantly, its disappearance. Aside from dreaming about them, watching shark horror films on them, and seeing them in books, there is still so much I don't know and can't find out, which is why I tracked down Jack Cooper, PhD student, and the perfect person to talk to about the Megalodon. Although it may have become extinct long ago, It's certainly respected and even feared to this very day. This shark story episode is dedicated to the largest shark to have ever lived, the Megalodon. Two very different parts of the world right now. You're somewhere cold. I'm somewhere warm. Calling you from Florida. How are you doing this morning, Jack? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I was in Mexico a week ago and I was in a dive shop and there was a megalodon tooth there. And I was looking at it and I don't know why I've never thought of this before, but I was like, I should try and find someone that knows something about megalodons and do a podcast because I love talking about them and I never know enough about them. So I'm stoked that I found you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked to be here. You've got a wonderful podcast and you do great things for sharks all around. Oh, thanks. So tell me, how did you end up with kind of what you do around megalodon sharks? How does one fall into studying this animal? Oh, well, uh, strap in because it is a bit of a long story. (laughs) So (laughs) I first came across Megalodon when I was a six-year-old boy. I was deep into the dinosaur phase at that point. As we all were. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) And uh, I was obsessed with this uh, documentary called Walking with Sea Monsters, in which a zoologist named Nigel Marvin would uh, essentially be on a time-traveling boat, and he would meet the CGI versions of these prehistoric animals. And at the end of the second episode, he came across a megalodon, and he talked a bit about it, about how big it was, and how it ate whales and stuff. There was a killer cliffhanger in which the shark appeared to eat him at the end, and we had no idea what happened to Nigel and had to wait a week to find out what happened to him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, he was fine. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) after that, uh, I was obsessed. I thought, whoa, this enormous, terrifying animal was actually a real animal and existed not that long ago, all things considered. So I wanted to know as much as I possibly could about them. And that drove a desire to do biology in high school and also to eventually do evolutionary biology in my undergraduate and paleobiology at my master's. 
And most significantly, it inspired me to travel to South Africa for two internships, firstly in Hansby and then in Mossel Bay, where I could st- observe and study the great white shark, which is about as close as we get to an ecological analog of Megalodon. And that incredible experience only took me further and further down the rabbit hole. Well, that's like, that's crazy, isn't it, to think of the fact that Great whites are probably one of the most insane and revered species in our ocean, and you're basically obsessed in studying the even bigger, even crazier species of shark that once lived, like a basically a giant badass version of the great white. Yes, that is one way to put it. So, uh, although it was originally thought to be a direct ancestor to the great white, we now know that Megalodon was more of a distant cousin. Its teeth are somewhat similar, but there are some distinctions, like the serrations are different on the teeth. There's a dental band that isn't present in the great white tooth, and they're thicker. So they're in the same order, order lamniforms, but they're not in the same family necessarily. But with all that said, uh, the great white is also a very big mackerel predator that eats marine mammals and is regionally endothermic. And Megalodon was also all of these things. So they're very comparable ecologically which is like, that's so cool. Um, And okay, look, I'll be the first to admit, I watched the movie, The Meg, but (laughs) I only watched it because Jason Statham takes his shirt off a couple of times throughout the movie. But let's talk about that movie. (laughs) And then let's talk about Shark Week. For those who don't recall, there was this uproar during Shark Week in 2013. Do you remember that? The network aired Megalodon, the monster shark lives. And it was a documentary all about the possible return of The Meg despite a very brief disclaimer that it was fiction. So heaps of people went on to think that the Megalodon was real and still alive. Yes, I have heard about that. I was actually quite late to the party in seeing that because I didn't watch it when it aired. And I kind of take pride in the sense I've never watched the actual documentary in full. (laughs) Yes, I'm very much aware of the uproar. And I believe what was most... uh, Somewhat worrying about it was that the it came from Discovery Channel, which until then was considered to be pretty good at the scientific accuracy of displaying sharks. And they then had a post saying, asking their viewers, uh, essentially, do you think Megadon's alive? And the majority of them said yes to it, which is not really bragging rights because you've essentially tricked your audience into believing something's real that isn't. And okay, it was the highest rating program in Shark Week history at the time with nearly 5 million viewers. So (laughs) the (laughs) fact that it was so far from the truth, but still it was like people just got obsessed with it. And I'll, I'll never forget it because I didn't see the doco and I didn't like watch Shark Week back then. But all of a sudden my inbox on Instagram started getting flooded with messages from people being like, could it be true? Could the Megalodon still be alive? And we just be like, no, why could you possibly think that? But then I realized it was because the Shark Week show. But they are, in fact, extinct. How long ago did they disappear from the face of the Earth? And for starters, you're absolutely right that there's no way they're still around because you yourself have shot some incredible drone footage of great whites and being near a huge sperm whale carcass that I watched today. And with all the amazing technology and drone footage and just going out to boats and finding sharks, and because megalodon teeth are found in coastal areas, we would absolutely have seen them if they were still alive today. It's very hard to miss a giant shark. But to answer your question, 
uh, Megalodon went extinct somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million years ago, near the end of the Pliocene epoch. So that's, in relative terms of things, not that long ago. Absolutely not, yeah. Uh, And that's possibly one of the reasons that people are so into the idea of them being around, because geologically, that is not very long ago at all that they went extinct. Mm. That's that's crazy to think about. Um, Was there any particular reason that they did die out? Uh, I love getting this question because uh, most people will ask if it's one thing or the other. And the, the long answer is that it was a combination of things, most likely. So we know that at the time of Megalodon's extinction, sea levels were changing quite rapidly and quite violently. Mm-hmm. And this would have meant less habitat for them, and particularly less habitat for their nursery sites. But it would have also affected their prey, which was big whales that also lived in those areas. And at the same time, there was competition with uh, smaller, faster sharks that could eat smaller prey. And that probably didn't help it. So I suppose the short answer is it was most likely they starved into extinction due to a number of factors. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, And it's definitely what you said about them losing habitat would make sense because the species was so widely spread around the world that megalodon teeth have been found pretty much everywhere on every continent except Antarctica, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, that was a the subject of a paper by my supervisor, Dr. Catalina Pimiento, at the end of her PhD, and she essentially has a big map in that in that paper that showcases pretty much everywhere megalodon teeth had been found as of about five years ago, and they are pretty much everywhere. So what that immediately tells is that this giant shark was living literally everywhere. Well, I mean, when you're a giant badass shark that eats whales, you want to be able to at least go wherever you want. So I can imagine that they roam pretty freely. Oh, absolutely. And I mentioned before that they were regionally endothermic, much like great white sharks. And that in itself allows them to swim faster and travel greater distances. So therefore increase that prey encounter rate. So they were probably quite happy swimming wherever they pleased within reason. So just like the Great White, they were able to elevate their body temperatures higher than the surrounding waters. Yes, that's absolutely right. And that's usually, so cool. that would, Yeah, it is. And uh, that came from a very cool paper by uh, our colleague, Dr. Humberto Ferron from Bristol, who looked into oxygen isotopes of the fossil teeth. And essentially, he found that if the isotopes of those teeth differ from that of its surrounding environment, that suggests the animal had a different body temperature to that of its environment. So it's really, really cool stuff. That is some epically nerdy facts that you're throwing at me right there. I absolutely <laughs> love that. How cool is that? Okay, and another thing about the teeth is that you can, okay, this is going to be the most common question you get, I'm sure, but how big did the megalodon actually get? Yeah, that is, of course, a very common question. And It's one that actually is somewhat still kind of up for debate, depending on who you ask. The the most common method of calculating megalodon size is to take the height of the tooth and run it uh, in a linear equation that between the height of the tooth and the body length in the great white shark. And that's produced the size of about 15 to 18 meters. So that's about 60 feet. But there was a very, very recent paper 
that actually found that the width of the turf uh, might be a bit of a better predictor because the height of the teeth uh, will change depending on the turf position. And therefore, the estimates you get by using different turf positions can be really, really varied. So this new paper took the width of an individual turf and then took, uh, took the proportion of that to the width of an entire jaw. So they found associated teeth that came from one shark. And from that, they got a maximum size of about 20 meters or 65 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. That, yeah, I just got internally like a little excited child. Tw- <laughs> a 20 meter long shark. Yeah, and that's uh, that's as big as some of the really big dinosaurs. And the short answer, I guess, would be shark big. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay. Imagine that. So they they were obviously eating large prey. They were eating whales. They had the ability to take down animals like that. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, the science from uh, from a guy named Stephen Godfrey, and a lot of his papers talk about bite marks we find on fossil bones from whales that came from either megalodon or one of its relatives. And some of the coolest things he's found are bones that have suggested evidence of healing. So they've healed over where the bite mark would be, which would suggest the whales survived getting bitten by megalodon. Wow. So they were hunting really big prey, but they were maybe not that good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very possible they were feeding on rather big animals. And regardless, a whale is pretty big anyway. (laughs) Yeah. No, but this is what we see in great whites. Great whites are constantly making mistakes and attacking things and not quite you know, getting the whole animal. So it would make sense that the megalodon, if related to the great white, does the same thing, just made made the occasional mistake and wasn't able to come back and finish their prey or got scared off or didn't go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a common thing in predator-prey dynamics. It's easy to forget that predators probably fail more times than they succeed in getting prey. So I, I read that it was estimated that a megalodon's jaw could span by up to three and a half meters wide, which was enough to swallow two adult people side by side. That's kind of crazy to think about, I'm sure, the actual scale of the animal. Yeah, that's an enormous size. And a lot of that will depend on just how big it could open its mouth. So uh, to tease something, I've got a paper in review right now where we might go into that aspect somewhat. But I can't really say that much about it, just that there's more work coming on that. Okay, exciting. Leave them wanting more. I love it. Um, in regards to your research, what is it that you're trying to learn and find out at the moment with what you're doing? So uh, hmm, I have to be careful here, just, just what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed <laughs> to say. I, I absolutely love PhD students. You're like spies. There's always stuff that you can't say. And that you'll say off the record. And I just love it. I feel like I'm always talking to like a double agent. (laughs) Absolutely. So I will first say what I did for my master's project. Uh, I did my master's at the University of Bristol. And I worked with Catalina, who was my supervisor from Swansea. And also with Professor Mike Benton, who is one of the country's leading paleontologists. And he's absolutely terrific. We essentially took the... Uh, body dimensions or measure the different body parts of a bunch of different sharks, not just the great white, 
but also some of the great whites' relatives like mako sharks or salmon sharks and porpigo sharks. And we essentially tried to figure out how those body parts grow as the sharks get bigger. And then we applied that to megalodon, given that megalodon would have had similar ecology. And because of its similar uh, kind of swimming or kind of thermal physiology, it might have had similar body plans. So from that, we were able to work out that a 16-meter megalodon would have had a head almost five meters long alone, which is about the same size as an adult or sub-adult great white shark. And the dorsal fin was as tall as a human adult. And that was just mind-blowing to me. Think about that. Okay, I just, I'm not that tall, but I'm, I'm just going to stand up right now and think about that. I'm like a five-foot-four um, megalodon fin, and that's still insane. Yeah, you're probably about the right size for a 16-meter megalodon as well. Okay, from now on when people are like, oh, how tall are you? I'm going to be like, about the size of a dorsal fin for an approximate 16-meter-long megalodon shark. How tall are you? (laughs) I would love to see that. I'd pay to see someone say that. That's how I'm going to answer that question from now on because that's brilliant. That's crazy to think about. Okay, and then now everybody listening must be like slightly relieved that these things did go extinct. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I suppose so. But I would also be reassuring that they are so, they were such, such big animals that we probably would be barely noticed by them if we happened to be swimming by and caught one or saw one in the distance. That would probably be the thing, though. If they were alive today, I'm sure that it would be one of the sharks, the most highly prized to have their fins or to fish or they'd be caught in commercial fisheries, I'm sure we'd be doing something to screw with them because no matter how big they are, humans are always way more damaging and scary. Yes, I completely agree. And you mentioned the Meg earlier, and I've seen that, and I've also read the book it was based on. But uh, I would love to see a book or a movie that if they are going to go with a living megalodon as the plot, they can say, well, actually, we're the ones screwing with them, and it's really sad. Totally. It's so true. There's all these horror movies about sharks, but let's be realistic. If the megalodon was alive today, it would be hunted. It would not only be like a like a prize, but it would be such a commodity for commercial fisheries. It's so true. If they weren't extinct already, we would have just made it so. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. And given uh, that big sharks are particularly prized, uh, that would probably put in even more risk. So, yeah, it's sad to say, but I think we'd be a much greater danger to them than they would be to us if they happen to be alive, which, of course, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to throw that out there again. Um, I have so many questions running through my mind, but I'm trying to stick to my list of questions. If they were alive today, we know that they would have dramatic effects on the ecosystem. Do you have any idea how they affected the ecosystem back in the day when they were in the ocean? Yes, absolutely. So this is something else that we're working on and looking into. But frankly, there's enough literature out there that I can sort of say some of the uh, some key aspects without giving away what we're studying. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so essentially, uh, we know that Megalodon ate whales and might have been some pretty big ones, too. And there has been some uh, isotope studies, much like the study Humberto did on regional endothermy, that give indications of what kind of prey it was eating. I'm not really a chemistry expert, so I'm not going to go into the details, essentially. But uh, 
basically, it would suggest that Megalodon might have been an even higher trophic level than the Great White Shark, which, as we know, is a very high trophic level that isn't eaten by anything except killer whales. Yeah. So Megalodon was almost certainly an apex predator and possibly an apex super predator. Wow. Okay, so that means that not even an ancient killer whale could take one on. That would be a really interesting question. I, I get that question a few times over social media, actually. And my first thought would be, if it were one killer whale, no chance. If it were a lot of killer whales, then I would hesitate. Yep, yep. Um, with with all your, the research that's been done, like you found out so many amazing things from fossils. What's something really, really cool that you found out just from studying or that's been found out just from studying the fossils of the Megalodon? Oh, there's so many cool things. I could uh, go on forever about it. If we talk about the teeth extensively, we know their range of living worldwide. And we their size is obviously the major, major thing that people obsess over when they find it. But I think one of the coolest things I think I've learned from, from the teeth is somewhat those subtle differences we see between these huge teeth and that of the great white, which everyone associates Megalodon with, because although the differences are very, very subtle, it actually does give us an indication of that they weren't quite as closely related as we all initially believed them to be. So I think it's really cool that we can get an idea of their relationships to modern sharks just from little subtle details of those teeth. So it's almost possible that they were just completely their own thing as well, and there's nothing that closely relates to them. Uh, that w- probably would be somewhat right, because Megalodon's entire family is referred to as the Megatooth clade, and every single one of them is extinct. But because they had similar ecology to great white sharks and makos and other lamnid sharks, it's probably pretty reasonable to assume there was some convergent evolution going on, albeit at a much bigger scale for these megalodons. Mm. With things in the ocean changing the way that they are now, do you think that there's threats to the predators that are alive now that were similar to the ones that caused the megalodon to go extinct? That's a really, really good question. because, And it's hard to answer because the biggest threat to modern predators is obviously us. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, and Megalodon obviously would never have had to deal with that while it was alive. Yeah. I've, uh, I don't know how the sea levels are changing, but if they did change quite drastically, that probably would affect nursery areas of other living sharks today. And uh, Catalina recently published a paper that uh, talked about uh, how, what kind of evolutionary adaptations allow sharks to get so big one of those was regional endothermy, like Megalodon the Great White had, and the other was filter feeding, as we see in basking sharks and whale sharks. And she pointed out in that paper that uh, perhaps the biggest threat uh, to regional endotherms was those changing sea levels that meg- caused, ultimately caused Megalodon to kick the bucket. But for filter feeders, now microplastics are just so, so much bigger a threat now. Wow. So we've, we've got actually more crazy things happening to the sharks alive today than were even happening to the megalodon. I'd say that's probably true, yes, because it's all coming from essentially one species, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, we are. We are. OK, this is meant to be 
like a cool podcast about the megalodon but all i'm doing is making humans look bad but it's so true (laughs) it's so true it's like people just have these irrational fears and they make good for movies but the scariest thing that's ever faced the planet is us Mm, absolutely and uh i'm 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 absolutely not ashamed to admit that my favorite movie is still jaws (gasps) mine too uh, oh awesome (laughs) Uh, obviously jaws has a reputation for essentially spreading that uh irrational fear of sharks but perhaps one of the coolest things about it is that the original author of the book peter benchley after writing the book he essentially regretted writing it and became a massive shark conservationist yep Yep, this is something that I, I tell people all the time, which is just, like, so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I really love talking about Jaws. I went on a podcast uh, earlier this year called Let's Jaws for a Minute, which is essentially two film nerds breaking down Jaws minute by minute. So I got to go on and talk about the scene where Hooper dissects the tiger shark. and just Oh, my talk- gosh. Okay. Everyone, forget about my boring podcast. Shut it down right now. Go find that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to shout out Sarah and MJ for that because it was a really fantastic experience to go on that podcast. I'm going to listen to that because that would be amazing. And, yes, I, I let me guess, your favorite character on Jaws was Matt Hooper. Uh, as a child, yes, absolutely. Because that's kind of who <laughs> oh. you turned into. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think. I hope I'm not quite as snarky as he is in the movie. <laughs> I have to admit, so I have a nonprofit in the USA. Um, slight name drop. Go donate. <laughs> but it's called the Hooper Collective because I named it after Matt Hooper because he was the only one on the show that was fighting for the shark. Oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. And there's various scenes like when they're on the boat. And even though he knows that they have to kill the shark, he is taking as many pictures of that beauty as possible. Right, right. He's just, yeah, everyone else is freaking out and he's taking pictures. And if that's not the perfect like vision of a scientist, I don't know what is. Spielberg nailed that character for sure. He'd eventually nailed that character. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Um, love that. Definitely one of my favorite movies too. Uh, so one thing, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but my obsession is my megalodon teeth like when people come into my room and they're like look at all my things I got coral I got like you know all sorts of crazy things but they always go to the megalodon teeth and I'm like don't touch that and it's like in its own little <laughs> shelf area and I also just like it's the one thing I wanted to talk about when people come into my room my friends are sick of hearing about them but there are places in the world that you can go and you can dive and you can find these megalodon teeth and it's something that I actually haven't done yet, but I really want to do. The ones that I have, my friends have purchased for me off eBay, but there are places where you can go and find them yourself in the ocean. Is there any particular reason, I've never known how to answer this, that they are in abundance in certain areas? That is a really, really interesting question. And I can think of a few different reasons why that might be. So the first reason would be perhaps the area you're diving was a nursery site. So obviously we get nursery sites of living sharks, but uh, Megalodon has left behind evidence of nursery sites by having sites where there's a lot of very, very small teeth. And you can find those sites in Panama, in Spain, and I believe in Maryland as well. So that's possibly one reason you might find a lot of Megalodon teeth, albeit they would all be quite small for the most part. Another reason for that could be that it's an area of uh, or an 
formation site of prey. So there's, a, there's an area called the Pisco Formation in Peru, where a lot of whales lived, and we find plenty of megalodon teeth there too, because odds are they were swimming around stalking those colonies, much like great whites do with seals. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really cool. Yep, it's something that I plan, I promised myself that I would do in the near future is go on one of the dives where you can actually find megalodon teeth on the ocean floor, which would be so cool. I would love to do that too, because I've never done it either. But my favorite fact as a kid, when I was first learning where you could find megalodon teeth, was that in South Carolina, I believe, there's a river called the Cooper River, where there's lots of megalodon teeth, supposedly. No way. That's so cool. It was a nice, happy coincidence. Oh, no, I was, uh, as a kid, I was a bit scared to go there because I heard there were lots of crocodiles there, too. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this really cool thing when I was, like, Googling some Megalodon stuff that I read about the HMS Challenger. In 1873, they reported a finding of a somewhat fresh Megalodon tooth. So it was actually dated to be, like, very, very, very old. But um, because the tooth was so well-preserved by thick minerals and it had a lower decomposition, decomposition rate it kind of appeared to be new so there's all those sorts of like little exciting things that have happened that have given people the illusion that they still exist but obviously you know the difference between that and and the reality yeah and actually to be fair that story i believe was the main influence of the meg book that eventually became the film uh so yeah that that turf uh was coated it i believe it was magnes dioxide which does essentially uh, keep the preservation quite high, so it retains that fresh appearance. Uh, I believe the age when it was first estimated was something like 10,000 years, but that was debunked and said, no, it's way older than that. I think in the 1990s, so it was a while ago this was debunked. It would have been cool if someone didn't like debunk these things and just planted like teeth everywhere to keep the illusion going that they might still be out there. I feel like that would really help keep the surf free of people <laughs> to be fair we still have movies like the meg for that anyway yes yeah, true and it's so cool what, like like what you said is such a reality if they were still swimming around in the ocean they probably we wouldn't even be on their radar we'd be too small to be prey um too insignificant so you could potentially swim with one which is so cool to think about yeah were they around which disclaimer again they're not but uh, <laughs> if, if they were i would dive with them in a heartbeat <laughs> It's so cool. So you've spent a bit of time with great whites. How do you feel about them? Oh, they are absolutely wonderful animals. Uh, I will never, ever forget, like, some of the experiences I've had with great whites. Uh, the very first time I saw one was on, I believe it was May the 29th, 2017. I just arrived in Hansby, and we went out to our first boat trip. And we were told by the crew, oh, you, you won't, they won't ever show their dorsal fins first like you see in Jaws, so don't expect that. And then I get in the cage for my first ever intern cage dive, and lo and behold, the first thing I see is the dorsal fin. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. That's so cool. It, it is such a sight as well. And, I mean, like looking at a great white and thinking that a giant version of them existed is, is such a cool thing. When it comes to megalodons, because, you know, tracking you down was not easy. But when it comes to the research happening and the people that kind of focus on megalodon sharks, are there a lot of people studying them or is it something that's kind of a a small niche in the scientific community? 
That's actually a really fascinating question because it was something I was asked about by a friend of mine who went to Bristol with me some time ago. And all things considered, Megalodon is a very, very popular uh, prehistoric animal. It's not quite T-Rex level, but it's probably the tier below that. And when I really think about how many researchers are consistently and actively researching Megalodon, uh, there's a lot of us who have contributed, but I think there's only a handful of us that are uh, consistently studying it. I could probably name drop a few of them because there's there's me and my supervisor, Dr. Katina Pimiento, and she did her entire PhD, essentially, on this animal. So in my opinion, she's clearly the world-leading expert on this animal. We also have Humberto Ferron, who we've worked with in Bristol. Uh, we have Kenzu Shimada, who's well known for calculating the size of Megalodon back in the day. Uh, he's in DePaul in Chicago. Uh, there's Alberto Coloretta, who's in Paisa in Italy. And I believe there's also Bobby Bosnecker in Charleston in South Carolina, Dana Eretz in New Jersey. And these are all people that have contributed to studies of Megalodon in the last uh, 10 to 20 years or so. And those are the people I can name drop just off the top of my head. So not a lot of us at all, really. You heard it here first. Those are all the Megalodon celebrities walking the streets like your average Joe, but secretly heroes. <laughs> well, that's quite funny because depending on who you ask, there's definitely disagreements between some individuals, which is quite amusing to see as the papers come out. Yeah, but I did. <laughs> it's also just how science advances, though. Naturally, oh no, we try to be as objective as possible. We're not always going to agree on everything. Of course, and and you know, like you're doing all this research and study and a PhD on an animal that you can't even go and witness and observe, like that cannot be easy. So that leaves a lot of room for trial and error and also a lot of assumptions. And it's quite fascinating just thinking how much you found out in general, considering what you have to work with. Absolutely. And I've just remembered two more people I'm going to name drop. One of whom I mentioned before was Stephen Godfrey, who studies a lot of fossils from Maryland, but He's primarily known for studying the fossils that Megalodon bit. And also Victor Perez is another person who works in the same place. Amazing. And is there anybody in particular that's done any work that like you, you really look up to? Or are you kind of just smashing all your own goals and finding some cool stuff out? <laughs> I think uh, everyone studying Megalodon to some extent has had some kind of influence on me. Uh, it might be a cop-out answer and a slightly biased answer because, you know, she's my boss. But, <laughs> uh, but it has to be Catalina Pimiento. She is absolutely wonderful and she is unbelievably intelligent in how she goes about doing things. And she was a major, major influence on me even before I was lucky enough to meet her when I went to Bristol and then work with her ever since. Is there, um, what, was the, what was the topic of her PhD? Uh, well, essentially, Megalodon, that would sum it up. But she did all sorts of work with it. She provided the first ever estimate of when they went extinct about wow. 2.6 million years ago was her calculation. She also did work finding out how big Megalodon was in different geographical areas and also uh, how what area it occupied and finding out that it lived all over the world. Crazy. And uh, just as people listening and for myself, megalodons aren't the only 
really radical prehistoric shark species that we know of. There was some other pretty cool prehistoric sharks, right? I have like three different species of prehistoric tiger shark teeth in my possession that I got from Peace River in Florida. And it's crazy to, to think about the fact that there's so many different versions and new species that we haven't heard about before that were prehistoric and all we have left is their teeth. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of cool sharks that have lived in prehistoric times because sharks have such an amazingly long evolutionary history of some 400 million years. They've just been everywhere. And although I am very heavily studying Megalodon, my PhD is actually branching out to study other uh, sharks that lived in the past. So I'm really starting to get to learn about all these other sharks, and it's been really cool to do that. Do you think that there was a pretty massive difference between how the Megalodon operated back then versus how great whites are now, or do you think they had it like a very similar place, like the animal that sits in the background, stalks, and picks off the prey when it gets weak and injured, and the animal that is kind of really impacting its ecosystem with its mere presence, you know, that presence that the sharks have. Do you think that's pretty similar to what the Megalodon might have been like? I think that probably is true, yes. Uh, And you're absolutely right to say that presence was a great reason for influencing the ecosystem. So my thought in the matter would be that because we know Megalodon was regionally endothermic, like the Great White, it could actually speed up quite fast, despite being a really big shark. So my thought would be that it would have probably hunted in a very similar way. And because of that, we would assume that Megalodon was uh, countershaded, much like just about every living shark today. So it would have had that dark pattern on top and that light pattern at the bottom, which allows it to camouflage and blend in and not be seen by prey. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating that you can make those assumptions based on the little information that you have these days. The things that you can figure out based on this and this and this is really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And what's you mentioned that the sheer presence of Megalodon would have had a massive effect on its ecosystem. And you also asked about ecosystem and its ecological role earlier. And its absence has probably significantly uh, changed the ecosystem because uh, one of Catalina's PhD papers found that uh, whales actually started to get even bigger after Megalodon went extinct. So what I like to tell people when they ask if it's still alive is that if Megalodon were still alive, I don't think the blue whale would actually exist. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool to think about, but it's also, on the one hand, it would have been so cool to be able to see a living Megalodon. But on the other hand, blue whales are the biggest animals that have ever evolved, and they're just so beautiful and majestic that you can't really trade one for the other. Oh, no, I could. Megalodon, hands down. (laughs) Sorry, whale huggers. But, yeah, that's crazy to think about, that that was their only kind of adversary in the ecosystem, and then you get rid of them, and then you've got the birth of these giant whales, like, appearing. That's, like, I don't know. That's really, really cool to think about, that their absence may have led to that. And in general, like the way that they disappeared from our oceans is, is, if anything, a lesson of you could be the biggest, most badass, even fast 20 meter long shark with an insane jaw span, but you could still not survive a changing ocean. 
Yeah, absolutely, because it's all uh, adapting to change, really, isn't it? And eventually, the Miocene, when Megalodon first appeared, would have been a great uh, environment for such a big shark because there was lots of whales around, there was good diversity, there was lots of area to swim around and eat to your heart's content. But as that habitat would have declined and sea levels would have changed, that megalodon would have had to adapt to a massively changing environment. And if it couldn't do that, then it was dead. Crazy. Um, And I want to ask you, just off the top of my head, what, if there's anything that you want to share with the viewers or any fact that you think that people should know or anything about your research, any, anything that you want people to know that are listening, other than the fact that the megalodon is now extinct and it is not real? <laughs> Ooh, that's a real tough one because there's a lot of things listing in my head right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the, one of the coolest things about them would be that uh, if we have a shark that is this big, odds are it probably needed to eat quite a lot of food in order to even maintain that size. But on the other hand, uh, by eating quite a lot of these whales, which contain blubber and are very energy rich, it was probably eating these very, very calorie rich foods in order to maintain that massive size. And that might have actually enabled it to, you know, live at such a massive size. Wow. Just because it was was chowing down on big prey. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there was a cool recent paper by the University of Bristol that suggested that when Megalodon's relatives were evolving, we see that their teeth change shapes we see that they become wider and that they lose these tiny lateral cusplets you get on the sides of teeth. And at first, that was thought to be due to the prey they were eating. But that paper concluded that it might have just been a byproduct of getting big. So it's very interesting to see what kind of relationship there might have been. What Were they getting bigger because they were chowing down on big food? Or did they have to chow down on big food because they were getting bigger? <laughs> All the questions that we may never know. Okay, so my my last question, and this is a really important one based off a lot of scientific knowledge, but you know how in Jurassic Park they found the mosquito with the dinosaur blood in it and they brought back the dinosaurs? Surely there's some kind of underwater blood-eating insect that could have megalodon in it that we could potentially, like, bring one back and make a certain area of the ocean with just heaps of megalodons and and, and make them alive again. (laughs) Oh, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) this is secretly the topic of your phd isn't it this is what you couldn't tell me this is what you're working on (laughs) Uh, i will neither confirm nor deny that (laughs) (laughs) okay my fingers are crossed jack thank you so much for talking to me today and good luck with everything that you're doing oh thank you so much for having me i've had a wonderful chat with you (laughs) 